Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker. And I'm Sergeant Tim Andrews. And today we have some special guests with us and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So if y'all can just introduce yourself and who you're with. Yeah, I am Corporal Tracy Calder. I work for the South Carolina Medical Training Team under South Carolina Medical Command. My fancy official title is I am the 68 Whiskey Continuing Medical Education Coordinator. It's not as cool as it sounds. It's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of paperwork and talking to different regulatory continuing education agencies and stuff like that. I am uh, Sergeant Corey Uten. I'm the chief instructor of the medical training team. And so both of y'all are considered 68 whiskeys then, right? Which is, is that a combat medic still? It is, uh, I think they changed so it to com- the combat medical specialist. Combat medical specialist is a new name. But okay. in general, yeah, we're, st- we're combat medics. Yeah. Now, did both of y'all enlist uh, coming straight into the medical field, or did you do something else and then transfer over? No, both came I, in as medics. I did. I did not want to, yeah. but I did. <laughs> I wanted to be a firefighter, but we didn't have any slots. So my recruiter was like, just go be a medic. We'll transfer you later. And uh, I got in. I ended up loving it. So I stayed. I originally wanted to be an 11 Charlie mortarman, and it wasn't available at the time. They said, hey, go 68 Whiskey. You know, you get a civilian cert, all of that. And I think probably two weeks in the AIT, I was like, oh, I'm hooked. Yeah. This is it. So before that, did y'all have um, interest in going in the medical field, or was it kind of just like once you got into the military, it, that's the path that kind of chose you? I had zero interest. So I was a firefighter on the civilian side. And I hated running medical calls. I And I think it's because I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And it confused me because, you know, firemen put fire, you know, put water on fire, put fire out. Medical calls required thinking. And I wasn't about <laughs> that back then. Mm-hmm. But so, when I got into it and I started understanding the integral side of the house, it became something that I really enjoyed. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my mom was a ER ICU nurse, still is. And... Got a little bit of interest in it from that. Kind of followed a similar path to Sergeant Newton. Started out with a volunteer fire department as an explorer. And I enjoyed it, but I would—I did never thought it would be what I would do forever. It, it wasn't until I really started getting deep into it. And, I mean, you can – there's so many facets to medicine, especially military medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to be – you have to be able to do anything – yeah. So I want to, I want to go into what exactly your titles are. So you said that you're the training NCO or I'm, I'm sorry, whatever no, the technical fine. term was, it's, but can you guys kind of talk more about what that entails? And so basically, um, as the chief instructor of the medical training team, I'm the NCO IC and, uh, the full-time and M-Day team, we have M-Day instructors as well. Uh, and they belong to various units throughout the state. And we all come together because the 68 whiskeys, we have to recertify civilian certification every two years. So we have to go through 12 or more days of training every two years in, in order to maintain that certification. And so that's what we teach between that CLS, the new version of CLS and a bunch of continuing education courses, which I'll let uh, Corporal Carter talk about in a second. That's his wheelhouse where we have to, we, it's a wide variety of things that we teach all the way from the here let me put a band-aid on you all the way up to hey this is how you read EKGs we've had nurses PAs doctors in our classes but overall my job title is uh, the chief instructor I just make sure the day-to-day operations 
I just made sure it happens day to day operations and um, handling basically all of the uh, administrative stuff while they conduct the classes. Okay. So could you go more into what kind of classes and stuff that you guys teach? Yeah. So as medical providers, we have to have kind of a, a broad education and be able to maintain it. So we do basic life support. That's kind of like your uh, regular CPR, you know, how to use a BVM, how to give rescue breasts, do compressions, that kind of stuff. Then we move into advanced cardiovascular life support or what the new agency that we fall under, the American Red Cross, calls advanced life support. That's looking at mechanical and electrical issues with the heart and how to recognize it and treat it that way you know, it doesn't progress into something bad like a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And then we all cover a pediatric advanced life support, which same thing, helping sick kids, identifying what they're this weird little alien population. Like they're, they're not just <laughs> yeah. tiny humans, yeah, they, you know, they've got some anatomical differences mm -hmm. and the way their body works is different. It's not just scaled down. So we look at particularly that population and the things that make them sick, how to fix that. Then we also teach the civilian regulatory agencies, the National Association of EMTs. They have a pre-hospital trauma life support. Mm -hmm. And it helps military medical providers to translate those combat medical skills, that tactical combat casualty care scope, and how to apply it to more of a garrison or stateside situation. So we talk about car accidents. We talk about falls from great heights. You know, somebody falls 40 feet from a, a balcony by accident, or we even go into dive and high altitude emergencies and all kinds of stuff. And that's a, that's a huge thing that we're challenged with as well. On the active duty side of the house, when they go to the, their six day whiskey sustainment or their comprehensive medical training, whichever course that they choose to take in the two years, they get more pure army medicine, you know, combat driven, combat related, uh, battalion aid station, things like that. We have that weird population with the national guard and the reserves. So we teach both sides of the house where we have to cater to the civilian population as well. So we not only have to teach you army medicine, but we also have to teach you to civilian medicine as well. Two completely different worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, when you walk out, when you walk out of this, this uniform and you walk in, depending on your level of certification, it gets really, really weird. And where they're kind of coming together in some places, the military sharing with the civilian population, civilian population sharing with military, they still haven't married up yet. So we kind of, it kind of, it gets wild. It gets pretty wild when we're trying to differentiate the two in 12 days of training. So yeah. Having that uh that stateside disc mission. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I'm sure y'all get caught up just as much as we do. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. whether it's hurricanes or pandemic support, you know, trying to translate those combat focus skills on other situations mm -hmm. is, it can be challenging at times. This last year has shown us a lot. We've made a lot of improvements in this last year inside of our training because, you know, before, before COVID-19, we didn't really, you know, we kind of touched on some of these things that they're doing as far as vaccines and things like that. Like, we yeah. touch on them, we refresh on them, but since this last year, I mean – They've been, I mean, a lot of medics have been on this mission for over a year now. And we were having to do on-the-spot training mm -hmm. when they came in because it wasn't something that we had, you know, we were more combat-driven forever. 
I mean, because as long as we've been at war and that's what, you know, we haven't changed gears as far as the, um, the training circulars and things like that go that dictate how we train. So we kind of had to change gears real quick in the middle of it, but it's really shown us a lot. Like we're, we're kind of, we're, we're focused on, I wouldn't say we're, we're hardcore focused on the disc emission, but that's a lot, especially after this year has shown us a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, we've had to, had to look a lot at kind of medical planning. Um, cause I'm, Nobody really teaches you as a medic kind of your role in the military planning process and, mm-hmm. and how to go huge. about it. And yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about resources to look at, you know, emerging diseases like COVID-19 or, you know, tropical diseases like malaria or chikungunya or things like that, or that are now starting to move into regions where they previously didn't exist and could potentially become something, you know, wild and exotic like what we've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad that y'all brought that up because um, before we didn't really see a lot of medics and stuff. Like some mm-hmm. units have medics and all that, and like you know what who medics are, but you don't really encounter uh, or understand what y'all do on a day to day basis or just on a drill weekend and stuff like that. Um, but y'all do some really cool training, and we've got to come out and cover some stuff. Y'all support Best Warrior. I mean, y'all have some cool stuff that you can do, especially the mannequins and all that. They're basically lifelike. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. pretty cool. It's, it's as close super as heavy. you can get. Yeah, they are <laughs> super heavy. I'm prob- we know that. That's, uh, that's a fact. <laughs> Moving those things around is, is uh, crazy. Yeah. Spent all last but, week hauling those things around. But they, uh, so the state vested, they, they made an investment mm-hmm. probably, God, it's been, what, three and a half, almost four years ago now? Oh, yeah, I think so. Come close. And they made, they made an investment towards the future on a less – let's get the best of the best and let's let it last. Mm-hmm. And they did. And they, they sought out companies, different companies, had them come down. Actually, one of the best warrior competitions, I think it was 2018, this company that we bought the mannequins from, they came down and they brought them and actually let us run them during the best warrior competition so we could see them. And we ended up, these mannequins, without, without having a real patient, are the closest thing you can get. Mm-hmm. They talk. They breathe. You can do all the interventions, start IVs, put chest tubes in them. Uh, they're tourniquet responsive. They're bleeding. You put a tourniquet on the leg, it stops it. It's Without having a real casualty, that's as close as you can get when it comes to training. Yeah. I mean, these mannequins. We, we can control them to the point that, you know, when the medic, the CLS, the uh, advanced provider, whether it be a PA or a, a battalion surgeon, we can make the mannequins react specifically to their treatment and they mm-hmm. can, they can physically see, are they getting better or are they getting worse? And not only that, they're, they're anatomically correct, which is what you find uh, the hardest when it comes to training mannequins. That's, that's the hardest thing to find is are, are all the ribs there? Are they in place? Because that's an important feature for us as well. Cause when we're doing, certain types of treatments, we have to have certain landmarks that we find, and all, all of them are there. Everything's there. So that was the good thing about these. And initially we bought three of them, and then the state was like, oh, let's get two more. So we got two more, one of them female, four males, and then three iPads, and we control them all from iPads. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, you can get so far as to we can customize their voice tracks. So I can upload different voice tracks they can. They have voice tracks on them that speak Spanish. They speak other languages. They're French, German, French, German, all kinds of stuff. Oh, it's yeah. They they're very they're very integral part of what we do. 
and always available. It's like the best warrior. So we always bring them out to the best warrior. We take them around to various units. Anybody that does medical training or any med section that does medical training, or if you just want to incorporate a CLS lane into annual training or anything, we'll bring them out. All you have to do is ask. We love it. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question is, what can you guys offer to the units? Because a lot of times we have assets within the guard that can help with training and sometimes they're not used to their full advantage. I mean, people still don't know what public affairs is. So right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we fought that battle. We fought that battle for a while too. And yeah. You, you know, I know y'all know Sergeant Baker, but it's, uh, it's been wild. So I've been doing this since the inception of the team. I started as uh, an M-Day instructor, moved into an ADOS instructor, and then – primary instructor, so forth, so forth. But in the three and a half, almost four years I've been doing this, we're just now becoming visible, and it's because mm-hmm. of doing things like the Best Warrior Competition. But we've had these this equipment for years, and we have much – we have, I mean, millions of dollars worth of training equipment that people just don't know is available. So the big, the easiest way to get a hold of us is um, – or to figure out what, what we offer is – to go to the skip, go to the skip page. Mm-hmm. And under medical command, there's a drop down box for the medical training team. Mm-hmm. You can see where the mannequins are. You can see if they're in maintenance, if they're available. And then there's a form on there you can fill out. It's medical training request form and whatever you want. We're not going to hand receipt out the mannequins because that would do a disservice to the unit because they're so integral in how you have to run them we we'll actually come run them for you so you just give us a training brief let's just say sorry baker you you have abc lined up for at and you want um during b you want a me- uh, medical mannequin to be there you just put your training plan on the uh, or send us over the op board and we'll make sure everything's ready to go and then we'll come out and we'll run it based on your op board for you and then we'll clean everything up the only thing that we uh ask is if you're going to be using CLS. You're going to be using equipment that the unit supply the the training equipment. What you can't supply the big the big hard items, litters, things like that. We can supply that, but it's spendables. It gets a little yeah. It gets a little iffy on that. I mean, we we can basically offer units a tailorable medical training package. So if they want something as simple as CPR just for, you know, unit medical readiness or for DISCA or whatever, we can do that. If they want the new standardized CLS class, we can offer that. If they want this two-day in-depth scenario that's, you know, the world's on fire, <laughs> we will build yeah. it and we will make it happen. Now, speaking of training, you guys were talking about the there's a new CLS course or? Yes. So in 2018, the Secretary of Defense signed a uh, DOTI stating that everybody, doesn't matter, that falls under DOD has to have some kind of first aid training. Well, recently in the last three years, each individual component, or I'm sorry, not each individual branch, their medical commands kind of went away, and we all went to one big um, regulatory agency. Regulatory agency, because we all work together. And it's just like when we were in Afghanistan, we worked a lot with the Air Force, but we never intermingled training before. So they were confused at what we did. We were confused at what they did. It was a wild time. So. Finally, somebody was like, hey, let's standardize this across the board. So the old CLS, where it used to be that five-day-long program, everybody got it if you needed it. 
kind of went away. Um, so the idea is still there, except they, they have broken it down into two different trainings now. So everybody has to have a base level certification, um, and it's called Tactical Combat Casualty Care All Service Members. And it's an eight-hour block. And it can be done in one day. It can be broken up over time. It can be incorporated into a AT scenario, whether you're doing you know, convoy ops, you hit an IED, something like that. So it's, it's, it's tailored based around the unit. It's more obtainable now than, it, than the old CLS was. Now, the new CLS, which is still called CLS, but it's TCCC CLS instead of TCCC All Service Members, is still five days, but it's geared more towards the deploying unit. So big army requirements say you have to have it within 12 months of MOB, and the percentage is based on your unit percentage. However, that may play down because uh, some is still in the works. All the, the implementation policies are still in the works from NGB and big army. So it might play down that a certain, you know, the infantry unit has to have this every year, or something like that. But as far as right now, as far as we go, the new TCCC all-service members is eight hours, and then the TCCC CLS is at 40 hours. Yep. And it's it's standardized <laughs> across the, the DOD because they ran into the issue that, you know, we had, as the Army, the Combat Lifesaver Program, and then the Air Force had their uh, SABC, their self-aid buddy care. And we were roughly teaching the same stuff, but there was no standardization across the board that way if you know as a deployed army unit i could grab a an air force medic or a a navy corpsman or you know working with security forces getting pulled as an army medic to go work with them everybody's going to have the same level of training across the board and the problem that another problem that they found i mean interrupt you but before you get past it is the army we were gearing everything towards combat it's combat, combat, combat. We weren't talking about what if, you know, you're doing the Palmetto Guardian podcast and somebody falls out in the room. What do you do then? We don't know because we're not getting shot at. Where the Air Force uh, was in, and the Navy, actually, they were they were focusing a lot of that just generalized work environment outside of combat. So they took them both and, and compiled them together, made this one class where you kind of get the best of both worlds. So if you're working in a warehouse, like you're working at CSMS or something and something crushes your hand, it's a little different from, you know, Hey, you're getting shot at. Can you know, you take cover, can you return fire? Like we're not doing that. It shows you how to operate in, in both environments as we move out of that, out of that conflict environment more towards the garrison environment that we're in now. Instead of taking Motrin water and new socks. No, you should definitely do that all the time. I don't care what anybody tells you. I, I have, I'm actually wearing new socks right now, and um, it is phenomenal. Did you take some Motrin this morning? I did. Oh, see, perfect. See, he's, he's already just got a prime it. example. And I, and I have my water, so. Yeah, perfect, right there. I'm telling you, it cures all. That, that's, yeah. that is a medic cure-all. You need some ibuprofen, you change your socks, drink yeah. some water, but um, take a knee. They, uh, they divided it into the the multiple tiers so tier one being the all-service member tier two being the combat lifesaver so it's a little more in depth tier three is going to be the uh six eight whiskey or corpsman and then tier four is going to play into the combat paramedic so our, our flight medics or you know the idmts for the air force things like that and then our providers and what they found was that immediate first responder care so not not me, first responder as a, as a medic. I consider us professional responders. But the CLS, all-service member right there, 
the better trained they were, the higher level of care they could provide, the more likely somebody who was seriously ill or injured was going to survive before I ever touched them. Let's see. And the good thing about it, you got to think about it. So how many people are in the South Carolina National Guard? I mean, does anybody know roundabout? Like around 10,000? Uh, I don't. Th- I don't know. Or, or I don't, like <clears throat> air, uh, what? air and army. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's include air and army. So, nice. how many medical? How many medics? Like ground medics? Do you think that we have in this state? I have no idea. So, on the army side, you have two hundred. You're you're slotted for two hundred and fifty-two, and the air force has like twenty slots on the Dang. air guard side. So, out of thousands of people, there's a quarter of us are medics. So that's why it's so important that this all service members in that. CLS be trained because you might not you might not always have a medic with you. Uh, it's it's just how it goes. There are units in the in the guard that do not have a medic, mm-hmm. and there are battalions that do not have a medic. They have to request medical support when they need it. So it's very very crucial that we train to this level because we still have to go to ranges. We still have to operate. We still have to you know PMCS in the motor pool. If you're doing something other than kicking the tire and saying it's good. Then you know that well, hazard hey, I'm is I'm gonna there. plug in our Humvee video right there. Yeah. Y'all need to yeah. go check that out on our YouTube oh, yeah? channel. Are you kicking a tire and saying no, it's good? No, no, more we, than we, that. Perfect. Yeah, it's oh, more okay, than perfect. that. <laughs> about to say that's no. I'm just <laughs> yeah. No, I I like that y'all bring that up though because um, as members in the National Guard and even reservists, like we're yes, we're that soldier one week in a month and then your two week annual training, but like outside of that. There's medics who work in the medical field on the civilian side, or they might do something different. And a lot of people might not understand what y'all do. When I was an MP and, I, and someone would ask me, oh, what are you doing in the guard? And I'm an MP. Oh, so you just te- uh, check IDs at the gate? And I'm like, no, yes. no, that's no, not no. that's so not much. how that works. <laughs> but, like, they don't have that understanding of what y'all do. And it's more than just putting a Band-Aid on something or giving somebody Motrin, like, how many times? I mean, at Best Warrior, we had someone f- almost fall out, and y'all are giving him an IV in the field. Like, I have never seen that happen. And I was like, you don't realize all the stuff that y'all do. It's, and it's cool that y'all have are able to do these kind of things. Absolutely. It's it's a pretty wide um, scope of practice, to, mm-hmm. for lack of better words. And what we were talking about before the podcast, how the, – the things that we can do have changed dramatically and continue to change as we move forward because, you know, people who make a lot more money and are a lot smarter than I am have studied the next conflict. It's going to be, you know, we're not going to have air superiority. So we're kind of moving more towards having to sit on a patient for long periods of time. So moving away from just starting that IV into the field, we're we're starting to learn how to uh, do blood transfusions in the field. Take your blood and give, you know, combat casualty as long as you're tighter to match that blood right there in the field and keeping you alive and doing starting to do those um i would say icu basic icu level task in the field is becoming crazy but as as far as you were saying as the civilian sector it's also a wide scope because there's so many things that you can do with the with the emt certification or ems certification whether it be emt advanced emt paramedic you could be a tactical paramedic. You could be a flight paramedic. You could be what the new thing that's the community paramedic, which is basically you're like a PA that rolls around in a uh, Tahoe and goes and checks on sick people or goes to these minor calls. They get screened as they come into 911. And if it's, you know, something that they think can be treated and left on scene, 
they do that. These community paramedics, they respond to these people's houses and they go there and some telemed with the hospital and they'll prescribe meds. They'll give meds. They'll help out with treatments and all that. And, and it's trying to cut down on the transport of patients and keeping the ERs not as full as they used to be. So used to, if you call 911, we picked you up and took you to a hospital. That's what we did. You know, EMS, load and go transport. That's what we did. And nowadays we're kind of looking at more trying to on the educational side of the house, as far as community paramedic goes, trying to teach people how to take care of themselves at home. And then you can even move in as far as you don't have to work EMS with this certification. You could be a nurse, uh, nurse's aide, nurse's tech. Is that what I'm thinking? You'd be a patient care, patient care tech and and in a hospital, you could work in doctor's offices, labs, draw and blood at, at these plasma centers, blood banks, things like that. And, and even with lately with the COVID COVID-19 pandemic, it's opened up a lot of things for a lot more opportunities for us as far as jobs go for vaccination and testing. There's so many things you can do as an EMT or having that EMS certification on the civilian side. Whereas, you know, when we come into the military, people just look at us as we're medics, we're doc, we got that, you know, that's what we do is we fix broken people. But there's so much that goes into it that I, I'm not even going to lie to you. It's, it's, it's very hard for people outside the medical community to understand because it's even hard for people inside the medical community to understand. And I didn't really know, like I had a general idea of the wealth of opportunities and knowledge that went into being a medic. But when I took this job and I started seeing other people and what they actually did, that actually really opened my eyes to what all these medics do on in the civilian side because I was hyper-focused on EMS because I had done EMS since since I was 18, and that's all I've been doing for eight years before I came full-time. And that's what I – that's you know, I knew that job was out there, but then I started talking to some people that were in different medical jobs outside of EMS and – the knowledge base is just yeah. is it's amazing once you start looking into the depth of knowledge that a medic has. I, I think that's a serious advantage that we have being National Guard or, or, or even reservists in that we have what we do, you know, one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, and then whatever hurricane duty decides we're going to do. And, <laughs> but, you know, we've, we've got medics that, 68 whiskeys that on the civilian side work as x-ray techs. They work as immunization specialists. They work for ophthalmologists. I mean, I mean and you want to talk about assets. Yeah. I mean, just this skill pool that we can draw from that is just incredible and there i mean i can't remember exactly what what um section inside the hospital he directs but there's there's a 60 whiskey out there he's an e4 i think he might have just made e5 that is the director of an entire clinical services department for a huge hospital in charlotte like you know e4 60 whiskey dang and that's 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 the big thing with with 68 whiskey is a lot of people look, especially inside the military, and we're all guilty of it because we have the rank structure. So we look at, you know, the E4, mm-hmm. and we look at the E5, and we're like, oh, they're young, they're still learning, they're new, because that's the way <clears throat> Big Army tells us to think, because in the active duty world, that's the, the, most of the time that's the way it goes. You're E4, E5, you're still a very junior member. You're in the National Guard, as y'all know, it 
it could take us a while, especially in the medical field. It could take a while to rank up once you get, once you hit E5, you could sit for a little while. Mm -hmm. When you come to E6, E7, E8, there are very, very few and far between slots. And people have to retire or move on uh, before, and it could be years before you find a slot. So, I mean, you're looking at these E4s, E5s who are directors of entire sections of hospitals. I mean, just running it, running everything. And it's wild. It's very wild. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, kind of the autonomy that you get as a 68 whiskey, though. I mean, the the responsibility that, that they give a, I mean, and it happens in the military as a whole, but the, the responsibility they give, you know, a 17, 18, 19 year old and the, the knowledge and the skills. I'm a little biased because I am a 68 whiskey, <laughs> but I think it sets you up for a life of just doing exceptional things because they, they put you at this they put you on this pedestal. They give you all of this stuff so early in your oh, life. They definitely that it hype just, you up. Yeah. It, 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 it kind of forces you to, to be driven and grow just kind of as a person. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've worked EMS. I've worked fire. I've worked in the hospital, all of that. And it's so crazy to see the, the difference in mentality and, I don't want to say capabilities, but experience Mm -hmm. that prior military medics have compared to their civilian peers. That's just, uh, you, you you say that, but the VA, uh, so the department of the VA, they just created uh, an entire job. Well, not create an entire job. They, they create a skill set basically for veteran medics and military medics where you're not necessarily because the civilian EMT certification does not allow us to do a fraction of what we can in the military. So they created this in-between position where it's like, all right, so you're not going to do exactly nothing, which is pretty close to how it feels, how it feels (laughs) most of the time. And I spent a lot, a lot of many years feeling like I just drove an ambulance back and forth and put people on oxygen. That was it but you're not a nurse. So they created an in-between where you can do stuff that you've learned your skills, like an IV, you can go start an IV and EMT basic on the civilian side is not allowed to start an IV. That is the bread and butter of a 68 whiskey. And that's the certification that we have is EMT basic. Yeah. They, they, they saw that there was kind of a A disconnect. Yeah. Between the, the military pre-hospital provider and what a civilian pre-hospital provider could do. So they created their um, intermediate care technicians and previously, they were only utilizing them in the ER because so much of our training and, mm-hmm. and experience is focused on that emergency situation. But um, the Department of Veteran Affairs actually did just release that they were moving intermediate care technicians to other places within the hospital because that pilot program did so well that they went, oh, we need this. We, we have these assets. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, we, we have these assets that we can move and put all over the place, which I think, again, kind of relates back to, you know, coming from the, the military side, because, you know, you may be with an infantry unit, you may be with a field artillery unit, you may be with MPs or a medical company. And then even within a medical unit, you might be in immunizations, you might be in EKG, things like that. Blood so, draw lab Uh, i mean and that's another thing about the guard is 
we at 68 Whiskeys are versatile because we don't have a lot of the combat support MOSs. And then the medical support MOS is on top of that. So when we look at lab technicians and EKG technicians and cardiovascular technicians, things like that, these are actual separate jobs, separate MOSs inside the military. But in the National Guard, we don't have these authorizations. Mm -hmm. So is it, we're still expected to meet the medal of a unit that has these authorization so it's a 68 whiskey we have to learn how to do this we have 68 whiskeys that run lab so they they process blood work they do things like this whereas you know normally that's what a lab tag is going to be doing however we don't have it so your 68 whiskey learns how to do it they go through additional training whether it be online in person and they learn how to do this and that's another thing that makes us very versatile Our, our baseline training is just so broad that we kind of have some of the capabilities to be able to backfill and then OJT or go to some mm-hmm. type of additional education to be able to ensure that everything is done to the standard of what that specialist would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's where it gets, that's where it gets kind of, uh, that's where it gets kind of crazy with us sometimes. Cause yeah. we're, we're trying to cram everything into our program, which is 12 days long. And we're just like, oh, where the hours and the days go? Next thing you know, we've lost a month. We don't know where we're at, what day it is. Yeah. We've been at work for three years. It's, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. It gets wild. And that, oh yeah, I can and, imagine. And that's the funny thing talking to to medics who have come from either other states or components, and then they come to our program and they're like, "There's so much." Yeah. Like, what did I sign myself up because, for? Because yeah. because a, a lot of a lot of programs will just hit the. The, the minimum core requirements, mm-hmm. but luckily we have support from, you know, physicians and nurses and, and, and our M-Day other, medics. Other that, compos as well. Yeah. Uh, the we, Army Reserves out of Fort Jackson, they help us out a lot. Shout out to uh, the 874 Ford Resuscitative Surgical Team. <laughs> they give us instructors, providers to help with equipment, and uh, and our, our dust-off, Palmetto dust-off, they give us a lot of equipment to work yeah. with too. So shout out to y'all. Appreciate y'all. And we just, we end up covering, you know, pharmacology in depth and talking about medical planning, talking about prolonged field care, talking about tropical diseases, talking about, you know, battalion aid station operations, just, you know, so many educational programs just focus on TCCC, tactical combat casualty care, your three phases of care, how to stabilize a patient for 30 minutes and don't worry about anything else. And that like, is just the wrong answer nowadays. That's probably about 2% of what, you know, a, a medic's going to do at any given time. Because mm-hmm. you, um, your respect as a medic, so I know you being, Sergeant Baker, previously being in the MPs, I'm sure, and I, I don't know, so I've always been a medic, but this is what I've heard other people say that are non-medics in a uh, in a line unit. Like, they look at they look at their medic, and they're like, you – if something happens, you're supposed to be able to do everything and anything to include, you know, take my heart out and put a new one in if I need you to, (laughs) if I need to live from that. And we're just like, okay, all right, all right. We're going to try. We'll give the old community college try. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, and it's, it's such a broad spectrum because we can be put in any situation at any time with, you know, Sergeant Baker as an MP, we could be riding the streets of Afghanistan or we could be, I mean, setting up a battalion aid station in Kuwait or on a COVID-19 vaccination mis- mission. So you have to be able to have that broad knowledge and switch gears and be able to switch gears swiftly. 
um, based on your unit and mission needs. So, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna look at us basically anytime something naughty happens, whether it's uh, oh my knee hurts, my nose is running, or mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that dude's legs over there. So yeah. maybe you <laughs> yeah. should do something hey, about it, man. Hey, doc. Yeah. Uh, I hate to wake you, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm really glad that y'all came in and talked to us about this. And I'm sure that we can go on and on about the medical field. All day. But we would love to have you guys back. Um, And I know you'll have some training coming up that we're looking forward to hopefully covering. So maybe we can spread the word a little bit more. But before we close out, is there anything else that you guys would like to add? Um, I would just, you know, a little administrative since it's going out there. Again, if anybody wants to request training from us under the GKO, go under medical command, and you'll find a drop-down box for medical training team. And then there's various links you can click on. There's also a lot of educational uh, links in there, too. If you're looking for something to maybe brush up on your medical skills or brush up on your section's medical skills or just you have questions in general, just look that up. Feel free to, you know, email, call us at any time. That's we we love hearing from units. We love helping other units. And even if you're just like, hey, like I thought y'all were pretty cool. Um, I don't really know what y'all do or what we how we would use you. Like we kind of want something. We can help. We can help we can make a plan. We make a tended plan. We can have that conversation. We can make it happen. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and thank y'all for having us as well if anybody's got any questions as far as uh you know continuing medical education whether it be you know just short certification two-day things or if you've got questions about nursing pa school things like that you know we have access to the resources to make the military work for these young soldiers out there and you know get them the education get them to their career goals that they're they're looking for and uh shameless plug we do have a facebook page and we do South Carolina Army National Guard medical training. Um, we post uh, ADOS opportunities. We talk about you know reenlistment bonuses for for medics and other specialties, as well as pushing out just continuing education, whether it be in the form of a, a white paper or a podcast such as this. Okay, awesome. Well, again, thank you all for coming in and talking to us. And like I said, we'll probably have you back at some point to talk more about medical field and all that fun we stuff. We do enjoy talking, so. <laughs> talk all day. Thanks Anytime. for having us. Yep. Thank you, Sarn Andrew, Sarn Baker, for having us. Um, but for those of you who are watching and listening, if you like this video, make sure you give it a big thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button, and we will catch you guys in the next episode.